You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and you're watching Culturally Determined. And my guest today is a very special guest. Um, you know him if you frequent the, the blog he has commenter forums as Parallax 2 or Parallax the second. I don't know. I usually say Parallax 2 in my head. Um, like, um, like I actually recently changed it just to Parallax like it was before. Because okay. I was Parallax, <laughs> I went away, and then I came as Parallax 2, and then like, like a few days ago I decided just like make it just Parallax. Okay, so the original... It's like new Coke and the original Coke. We have original formula is back again. So, yeah. so can you introduce yourself as you wish the uh, blogging hits audience to know you? So yeah, I'm, I'm paralyzed from the comment section. I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and my friends know me as Sam. And uh, yeah, uh, today we are going to talk about Trump or talking about talking Trump, I guess. Yeah, uh, so the, we had corresponded over email um, a year or two ago, and the reason I reached out to you this time is I got some feedback on a recent conversation I had, someone saying, uh, you know, you should bring on someone you could have a disagreement with. And one of, you know, every, the main topic on everyone's mind, and every topic comes back to Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. Um, I know that we have some disagreements about Trump, and so I invited you on, and we were kind of discussing what to talk about. And I said, well, we can talk about Trump. You know, you're like kind of a supporter, defender of him. And you said you weren't. So can you just kind of lay out for the record how you do you see yourself just as someone who's like contrarian when it comes to Trump views? Do you kind of support him? Do you support some things he's he's doing? I I guess like what I would say is like most of the things that I write that people say is defending Trump is actually um Critiquing like the arguments people make make against them, like like the, the, like sometimes just the argument is just not uh, convincing. Like I can like give you an example, like and this happens like not just like uh, lay people or like um, so. Um, uh, Glenn Ra- Lowry had Mark Lilla on. I don't know if you remember, like. Mm-hmm. And at some point towards the end of the dialogue, Mark Lilla says, "Yeah, I mean like." He says, like, he's optimistic. Trump is not going to do well because compared to Reagan, Reagan had mourning in America. Trump is, like, Reagan's message was optimistic. Uh, Trump's message is pessimistic, and that's why he, like, he he's, op- like, he's optimistic about uh, the Democratic Party or, like, the, he's pessimistic about the uh, Trump's prospects. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, I mean, this is just a bad argument, like, and the reason it's a bad argument is like, I, I actually went and looked like, um, so in the um, morning America was like uh, Reagan's um, re-election campaign, right? Like yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's like 1984. Uh, I actually looked up the numbers. So in the last quarter of 1984, the median weekly earnings for full-time employed men uh, was $378. This is like in uh, inflation-adjusted numbers. Now, the election, the Trump election, like what happened in 2016, so in quarter, in the fourth quarter of 2016, the median weekly, like the same statistics, the median weekly earning for full-time employed men is $382. So you had $4 in 32 years. Mm-hmm. And Okay, if 
uh, 1% growth in 32 years, like that turns like what I wrote in the context, like that turns mornings into midnights. Why do you expect like after this, like to uh, succeed with the optimistic message? Right. I mean, uh, like pointing that out shouldn't be like pro Trump saying that the country, like, uh, the people like this, like, uh, people don't feel optimistic about their future. That's just not something that's just like the description of reality. I think we should start by acknowledging that like a large part of the population, they have seen their economic fortunes decline or stagnate and they are not uh, optimistic about the future. Well, yeah, I I think... um... Uh, Before we go on, another example I had was that for example, like people, like a lot of people, like this became kind of a uh, constant. Like people would, again, going back to Reagan, would point out how much pro-immigration Reagan was, mm-hmm. right? And again, like so, for example, like this again statistics. So, like 1980, the percentage of foreign-born population of the United States it was 6.2 percent. In 2015, uh, it's 14 percent. I mean, like, that's a huge change. Like, how, why would you expect uh, the same uh, response? Like, this is like, it, it, it seems to me that, like, uh, some of the arguments, like, I just, these are just two, like, are just bad arguments. Like, so, like they, they are not convincing. So it seems to me that the argument you're making is that Trump was able to capitalize on the state of the nation, which was worse than a lot of people thought it was. So, like... Hillary Clinton, so Trump said make America great again. Hillary Clinton's reply to that was America is already great and make America great again won out in the electoral college, not the popular vote. It should continually be noted that, um, you know, Clinton won the popular right. vote, but that doesn't, Amer- doesn't matter in America. Um, so, you know, Trump's message was basically the country's falling apart. Um, there's, immigrant rapists on the streets. Everyone is corrupt. The system is corrupt. Only an outsider like me can fix it. And he would return America to some greater, some time when it was great, he would make it great again. So that was the message that won. And I think there's, it's certainly a better message than Hillary Clinton's message, which was her slogan was stronger together, which was a really bad slogan and doesn't mean anything, and probably most people don't even remember it, whereas everyone knows Make America Great Again, that's a much better slogan. And Hillary Clinton is a really bad politician and ran a historically bad campaign. So those are the reasons that I think, you know, Trump has, I think Trump has some some strong skills. One of them is uh, personal branding and brand management. Um, You know, he names his buildings after himself. Um, He's good at coming up with slogans like, you're fired or make America great again. So he did a good job with that. And that was enough to barely get him elected. Right. And then you compared that to the monorail man, like in Simpsons. I was just like, uh, you said Trump was a monorail man from the Simpsons. And, and, and I was asking what the monorail was in your analogy. And then you said was uh, make America great again. So like, can you explain that? Because right, let me let's so for, I'll we'll link to the clip below. I we were exchanging some video clips um, before we started the recording, 
And I said the, the clip that I thought summed up Donald Trump was this clip from an early season of The Simpsons. The episode is called Marge versus the Monorail. It's one of the classic episodes. And it's, it's a parody of The Music Man. Um, this guy uh, comes into town and convinces Springfield to install a monorail when there's no reason for Springfield to have a monorail because, you know, it's this, <laughs> it's this town where everything is in one place. But he, he does this song and dance and sways the whole town and he sells them on a dream. Um, the dream, and he, he's able to convince all the different characters in different ways. And he's evil. He's even able to win over Lisa Simpson by, um, flattering her and saying, you know, I would explain this, um, in a way, well, we'll link to the clip. I, I can't, uh, make it funny in the way the Simpsons did, but it was something like, you know, you and I are the only ones who are going to be able to understand this. Even your teacher won't. And Lisa giggles and she's won over by him as well. So that's, so this, this is a con man, um, in the music man, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that musical. No, I haven't. Uh, it was put on when I was in high school by my, uh, you know, fellow students. And so part of it is like, this guy's a con man. He comes to town trying to sell them a uh, band music, as I believe, to tell them that they need a, a marching band. And that's where the 76 trombones and the big parade, that's like the main number in, the, in this musical. He ends up falling in love with the local librarian. And it turns out that he's not such a bad guy after all. And he stays in the town and they do have a big marching band parade. So how is this similar to Trump? Well, Trump is a con man. He's one of the greatest con, mans in human hi- con men in human history. A lot of his career was, you know, Trump University, Trump Vodka, Trump Steaks. Um, he, he was involved in beauty pageants and gambling. He went bankrupt multiple times. He's, a, he's like a shady character, um, but he, he is a very, a very skilled con artist. And he pulled off what, in my view, is the greatest con of all time, getting elected to the most powerful position in the world. Um, right. Using kind of the same contact, you know, con artist tactics that had um, propelled his business career. So in so in Marge versus the monorail, the town is convinced they need a monorail. In America, 45 million people were convinced that Donald Trump could make America great again. I don't, and what's weird is that since being elected, Trump has really not pursued any of the politics that seem to make him different than other Republicans. He's pretty much done like what... Ted Cruz would have done if Ted Cruz had been elected president. So that's like another weird irony about this is that Trump doesn't actually care about, he definitely doesn't care about policy and he only cares about politics in the sense that like any 71 year old man who watches Fox news cares about politics. He has no like deep understanding of the issues and can be swayed by whoever talks to him. This is one possible reason why he never should have been elected president, but I've, I've been talking for a while. Right. I mean, um, so what should, like, how should I respond? So, like, the first thing I want to say, going back to the state of the country in 2016, um, the difference between monorail and uh, make America great again, one of them is, like, the, the town, as Lisa puts it, as a constant, like, a concentrated population, and small town with a concentrated population, and, like, doesn't need monorail, but... In 2016, the country is not in good shape. Like, uh, saying make America great again is actual, like, it's an actually, like, something that's relevant. Like, basically saying, I know you are doing badly and I want to do, get, like, get us do better. Right? So, like, the, like, the, the model is a complete, something that completely unnecessary for a town. Mm-hmm. So that's the analogy. Like, in the, in the sense of, like, now, 
2016, like how bad is the situation? Like, so the, there's a Pew poll that basically asks, do you think the future generation will be better off than the current generation? And in 2016, like I think 4% said uh, the, the future generation is about equal, uh, it's going to be about equal. 12% said they didn't know. 34% said the future generation will do better. And 50%, half the people who responded, said the future generation is going to be worse off than they are now, like the current generation, right? And this is really, uh, like, that, that is something. Like, half the, like, uh, let, let's say the Pew is, like, representative of the American population. Like, half the country thinks the generation of their kids is going to be worse off than they were. And, uh, like, now you said, like, the system is rigged. Uh, like, again, uh, citing other uh, dialogues. Like, Professor Larry had Stephen Tellis, like, a while ago. Stephen Tellis and Brink Lindsay. Brink Lindsay is another uh, blogging head. Like, he was on, I think, with Joshua Cohen. Mm -hmm. yeah, like, the two of them, they have uh, written a book recently. And uh, they, they, they say, like, this intuition that uh, people think the system is rigged is mostly correct. Uh, and they're like uh, the the idea is that there, there's a bunch of rents in the economy, and what has happened over the thirty forty years is that we have eliminated rents for the small people, like uh, uh, like people don't like they are not in anymore, and like the private sector unions are basically gone, mm -hmm. and but we have given or created rents for like people who are very wealthy. And like, uh, so some of them has like with the financial regulation, some of them has like with the way, uh, with intellectual property, with like, uh, antitrust regulation, like, uh, like, or, uh, like um, occupational licensing, that kind of thing. And like, so it's a, it's not just a perception that like, uh, the perception is not wrong. People are not wrong to think that the system is rigged. And it kind of like the, the the financial crisis kind of like basically I think uh, uh, really drove this point home. Like uh, that, like uh, the, the, I think I, I was I, I was listening to them uh, in a, in another podcast recently, and they were basically said one of the things they said like the financial crisis it brought this much pain to the country, and there was no catharsis. Like there was no one single event. Like there was no prosecution. There was the people had nothing to kind of. Uh, they feel wronged and they feel like cheated and there is no uh, uh, there, there there is no way of releasing that tension or emotion that that's like pent up. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that was a failure of Obama. No one got prosecuted for the financial crisis. Um, Obama was very solicitous of Wall Street uh, in many ways. Um, you know, there was no like truth and reconciliation commission to try to figure out what had actually happened on Wall Street. And it was such a, I mean, if we send ourselves back to 2000, late 2008, early 2009, it was like a huge sense of crisis. It seemed like a, another Great Depression could be oncoming. And the, the Great Depression was averted, but there was a strong recession. Um, so we could perhaps credit Obama with heading off a Great Depression, although that's hard to say. And there were a lot of, you know, there was uh, small banks 
there's low, you know, low deposit insurance. So it's not like every, everyday people were losing their fortunes like they did before um, the, during the Great Depression. And there were all sorts of other safeguards um, that prevented the Great Depression. But uh, Obama could have done more. He probably should have gotten more credit than he actually did for what he did do. But he should have done more. And it would have been good for the country if the head of Lehman Brothers and all these other firms had ended up behind bars as opposed to wherever they actually are now. Right. I mean, this, like it is kind of uh, coupled with the bad economic outcome afterwards. If you had like a very sharp recovery, like, like, um, like instead of this slow kind of a uh, very abysmal one, like maybe people would not have feel that way, but like, it's kind of a bad combination. You have a bad, like you have slow growth and you have, there's nothing done against like people who are perceived as cheaters. And then you, it's just like accumulates over time. And this is gets to another point that I like, uh, uh, it's related to Trump, like, but uh, not me defending him or anything, but like one of the things I have said to people is that people should really focus on president Obama. Uh, like, because, uh, so there is this, uh, Walter Benjamin, like, he, uh, in 1930, he wrote, like, a short essay, like, he was actually writing a book review, and then he was responding to, like, why we have fascism in Germany today in 1930, and then he was basically saying, okay, the origin of this fascism is because of the revolution that we had, that basically that toppled the Second Reich, the Kaiser's rule, failed. And the way it failed is like basically it failed to deal with the trauma of the First World War. And because of the failure of that revolution, we are now have, we now have fascism. And then basically this has, um, and the, the title of the article is like a theories of German fascism. And basically people have kind of generalized this and like basically like every time you have a fascism, you, it's a result of a failed revolution beforehand. Mm-hmm. And now you don't, you also don't need like to use those words. I mean, you could say every time you have like a kind of a reactionary backlash is because of like, like progressive failure earlier, right? And if you want to look why we have, like why Trump rose to power, where did his support grow? I think people should look at the Obama White House, especially in the first two years, like the, 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 the years that like, a lot of times, like people like when I talk about this, people tell me, okay, yeah, the Republicans are obstructionists. And it's that's kind of like, uh, I, I once jokingly remarked, that's like the Jeb Bush saying, my brother kept us, my brother kept us safe. It ignores the, the initial big event. Like in the first two years of Obama administration, the, the Democrats had 255 seats in the House. Uh, I like, like, uh, I don't remember the last time Republic, even in, in the recent years when Republicans after the 2010, they, they have never gotten the 255. I think the most they have gotten is like 240 something. Mm-hmm. They and, had, they, and they had 58, 59, 60 votes in the Senate. I think there was only actually five to eight months where they actually had 60 votes in the Senate because Al Franken wasn't seated for months because the election in Minnesota was very close. And then, um, Ted Kennedy died. So there, yes. was, there was this brief period where they had the, filib- the filibuster-proof majority. Yeah, so like, uh, I think it was like June, like June 30th, Al Franken got, like, was seated. And then in February 4th of the 2010, so like, if you have a 
period of eight months where they, they have 60s, like they have 58 Democrats and two, um, two independents that caucus with Democrats, right. right? And you have the White House with a president that's popular, like has gotten the most number of votes in American history, like two election cycles afterwards, we haven't gotten there. Like he got, he got more than 69 million votes. He has, he's very popular. And so you have this huge amount of political capital to spend. And like, I think somebody, like, people should hold uh, President Obama to account for how he spent his political capital. And it is not being done. Like it, it, it like, or, uh, like, well, what did he spend it on? He spent it on the stimulus. That was the first thing that was passed. And then healthcare reform. Those, those are the big things that happened in the first right. two years of the Obama administration. Uh, healthcare reform was a long drawn out process. It took over a year. Um, there were, you know, a bill. It was very different than how the, the Republicans tried to, <laughs> tried to repeal Obamacare. Like there was tons of hearings and, uh, analysis and votes in the normal course of, you know, the way the, the parliamentary system, you know, they, they went along normal congressional procedure and then they barely squeaked this thing out. And then, uh, they had to do this crazy reconciliation thing to get the final bill to work correctly. And they created this and, you know, they were opposed. We, we don't need to like re relitigate arguments from 10 years ago, but, the Obamacare was essentially a plan that um, came from the center right. Mitt Romney implemented something similar in Massachusetts and uh, the Republicans decided to demagogue it and uh, make it seem like the government was going to euthanize your grandmother. Um, and you had to be very frightened of it. Well, I mean, so one question is why should a democratic president with majority like that the democratic party controlling both houses uh go for a solution that Mitt Romney implemented in Massachusetts like I mean like already like do, do you see like well I mean? well because like, Obama was not a raging liberal he was close to the center and uh is an incrementalist in his approach and uh he you know he used and he was also not like a crazy uh, theorist who thought he could come up with something wholly new. So he used this plan that had been developed by think tank people and Mitt Romney, et cetera. And in retrospect, you know, we could have said it would have been, a, would have made a lot more sense just to go to for universal Medicare or Medicare for all. Um, right, that, right. That would have made people happier in the end um, because most people who are over 65 and are on Medicare like it a lot. And um, Obama, what can't be called Obamacare left a lot of holes. It uh, doesn't, you know, there's the individual mandate, which was recently um, repealed by uh, as part of the tax bill. So that so there's no incentive anymore to um, no. to buy insurance, et cetera, et cetera. No, it is. It was a very flawed, like some of the problems you had later, like it was not like that people didn't know people like, back then, like, wrote about, like, the adverse selection problem, all, all kinds of things. But, like, uh, like my own preference, like, at the time was, like, for, for if, like, to me, the most politically, uh, like, I mean, there is, like, two different types of things that you could say. One is, like, what would be good, like, one is, like, Obama as a president and his political, uh, uh, basically, 
character like it like what political choices he made and the other is like what would be politically like Obamacare was like or Affordable Care Act was like both bad politically and bad as a matter of policy do you know what I mean like it, it was like flawed as a uh, system like as a pl- policy like respective of the politics of it and in the terms of politics it was also flawed and then like like uh, if I want, if I was like my own preference was like just to lo- not have Medicare for all, I think he would not have gotten that pass. But like just lower the age of Medicare and instead pass a much bigger stimulus bill, and then then uh, presumably like your losses in 2000 would be much lower. But like as a matter of politics, again like um, like you said like. President Obama was not like the, the kind of liberal that people wanted him to be. And that's kind of the point. Like, I, I think a lot of people on the left kind of substituted like one aspect of his identity, like that he was African American for actual political, uh, substance. Like, and that's the reason that still people don't uh, want to criticize, like, don't, I think that's the reason people don't criticize him still. Like, like it is, um, and I, I until like people start looking back, like I, I don't like that is one of the things that I uh, I find I'm frustrated by. Like, like people, nobody just has a, like a critical looking back. Like okay, what what went wrong? Well, um, I, if 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 Obama had been allowed to run for a third term and he had run against Trump, who do you think would have won? I'm I like I I'm not sure. It would have like for on one hand, it is. Uh, it is hard to say that he would do worse than Hillary Clinton. Like he would have done better, but like on the other hand, you'd like you come like he's one of the few presidents that got fewer votes on his like uh, re-election than on his election. So he, this is his number of votes in like I think in in two thousand um, in two thousand eight he got sixty nine million votes. In two thousand twelve I think he got sixty five. Like he, he's he's one of the very few presidents that like. This holds like like most presidents. Then then the total number of votes goes up when you get if you get reelected. But not it was not true for President Obama. Mm-hmm. I and, think I think he would have won in a landslide against Trump. Um, I mean, if Clinton had done one percent better, she would have won. And Obama was more than one percent better um, as a politician and a strategist and a communicator than Hillary Clinton. No, no, but like, okay, 1%, like the distribution of votes matters because like the electoral, like you have to have that 1% in like all concentrated, like in Rust Belt, like in Ohio and Michigan. Right. And well, Obama, Obama won Pennsylvania, Ohio and Florida both times. So right, right. You have to look at where, what states would he lose at the only states he lost, um, that he won, the states that he won in 2008 and lost in 2012 were Indiana and North Carolina, I believe. And that's it. And the extra congression, the extra electoral college vote in, um, in Nebraska. Nebraska. Um, but other than that, he, you know, he kept the geographic coalition um, together very strongly. But like, so there is the other thing that's like his personal popularity is like kind of uh, different from like it is not very hard to imagine. Like you can you can do this in also with a Hillary Clinton win. That I think. You could easily imagine like a scenario where Hillary Clinton wins, and in four years you have something a lot worse than Trump. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's possible. I mean, I think one of the ironies about the way our 
the crazy uh, the American politics is so crazy. And one of the weird things about it is that pretty much everyone in the country would be a lot happier if Hillary Clinton were president, including um, Donald Trump, because then he could start his own TV station and be yelling on TV every single day. And he wouldn't have to do all that work that he is forced to do now. And the Republicans have morphed into like almost an entirely oppositional party. And I mean, people are still very excited to chant lock her up. Um, during Donald Trump rallies. So the Republicans, like their main uniting force right now is around like hating people who Hillary Clinton is the like avatar for that group of people. And she would have been probably a fairly mediocre president. Um, if something, she probably would have been somewhat like George H.W. Bush. And yeah, she, she probably, she may not have been reelected if someone who is politically smarter than her ran against her in, in 2020. And no, that, could, they're, that, they're, that could have been Trump, but I don't think he would, if he had lost, I don't think he would have run again. I think he would have just started a, t- a TV station. Right. I mean, like the, the thing I had, like once I had this hypothetical, it's like Hillary Clinton wins. And then uh, Hillary Clinton is like, as, as you said, and I, actually as she admitted, like she's not a very good politician. Like uh, I think in the 2016 election at some point she said that actually. And now the situation I have in mind is like you have not Trump, but like uh, somebody from the Rust Belt, somebody young, uh, like uh, born like let's say 1975, something like that. Somebody who used to be uh, in a union actually, like, like, let's be more like Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, uh, and charismatic, like working class, like not, not rich like Trump, doesn't have like, uh, uh, like, uh, gold plated, uh, uh, silverware. I mean, like, and, uh, like very populous. And like the, 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 the in my hypothetical was like, uh, Hillary Clinton would almost surely lose. And, um, it lose by a landslide, and now you had a president like like like. And my hypothetical: this person's name was Max Powers, and he was like now now. Then you have a real demagogue because what a lot of people again forget is like Hillary Clinton was not a vote for uh, stability; would be a vote for like continuity of policy. And a lot of what we have been talking about is like how the past policy uh, was destabilizing, right? And like, if you just continue for another four years, it's just like the, the, the problem just gets worse and worse and worse. And now you have a president, young, charismatic, like with now, uh, why, like with the, with the Congress, like Congress right now is like full of people that they don't agree with Trump, but like are kind of like have a, a symbiotic relationship. Like they have traded on policies. You give us tax cuts on judges and we got like, we give you like uh, something else. Like, right? Mm-hmm. And then you would have like somebody like this, like who has actually people who agree with him ideologically. And then now, like in my habit, like, like you are unhappy that he pulled out of TPP, Max Powers, like unilaterally withdraws from NATO. You are unhappy, like with like Trump's uh, travel ban, he actually institutes a Muslim ban. Like you are unhappy with like Trump's language about the courts, he actually disregards a Supreme Court directive to not, not enforce the Muslim ban. Like, he, and these things would be a lot like more problematic if you had a very pop, like popular president with support 
in both houses of Congress. Again, like, uh, like, so I, it's just a hypothetical to think about things, but like, uh, my point is like, unless we kind of go back and look where the support actually lies, we are not like this, like, like, that is why, like, that's when, when you said you want to talk about Trump, I said like, I'm not, I like, I think talking about Trump the person is kind of a distraction because like, it is not like the forces that he rode on are like much bigger than him. He just was clever enough to realize that he could do it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, can I add one more thing? Sure. And the more people say how Trump was a bad candidate or how he's like this, like has bad qualities as a candidate actually reinforces the point. Like, that if you had a uh, different, like a Max Powers character, that he would do a lot better. A person that doesn't like, like, do, do you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the more people highlight that Trump with these qualities won, it just means like the case for his, um, like political projects gets stronger. Like imagine like a much more, uh, like, like, I'm not that talking about Rubio or Cruz, uh, like kind of, uh, they're uh, creature, like political creatures, like kind of a true, like, uh, somebody like, uh, who is more of a common man and like people relate to. He's not a prof, he, like, he or she is not a professional politician. Okay, so I, I don't know if you ever read, um, All the King's Men. I read about half of it and then put it aside, but you can imagine, so that was like a novelization of um, Huey Long and he was kind of a populist with, who was in the, I think mainly in the twenties and thirties. And he was kind of this type of character you're imagining. And yeah. Okay. You can imagine someone who was a much better, like authoritarian leader than Donald Trump has turned out to be because he's like an incompetent authoritarian like he he wants to do things but he doesn't care enough he doesn't know how and there are still functioning like other branches of government that are stopping him from doing things so you can imagine someone who's worse than trump triumphing in some way and uh, we we have to fear that i think um you know the fact that trump was did manage to win like points out some big flaws in the american constitutional system um, you know, the Electoral College was originally set up where you would actually choose people you knew to be the electors, and then they would gather and right. choose who the president would be, because the founders thought that after, they, they thought George Washington would be the first president, but they thought there'll never be someone with the, like, national fame and stature of George Washington that the whole country would know, so we'll, you'll choose, like, the local leaders who you trust, and they'll get together, and they'll pick who the president is. So that, that system is still in place in the sense of you need to win the states and you actually get these electors and they like go somewhere and cast votes, but it's these like party hacks. It's not people, you know, and, um, they, they always, sometimes there's a faithless elector, but they always vote for who the candidate is. And so there was some like, like fantastical hope by some people that the electors would, would choose to like be faithless and not vote for Trump, and maybe that happened in, like, one or two cases, but the electors didn't save us. So this is like a cockamamie system. Like, it makes no sense. Um, Matthew Iglesias wrote an essay a couple of years ago about how the American system is in danger of failure because we have two branches that both have public legitimacy, the executive and the 
uh, legislative, and when they are in conflict, it's unclear uh, who has the real power in a parliamentary system. You have uh, a joint executive uh, legislative branch, and when the you have a vote of no confidence, the government falls and you have a new election. That doesn't happen in America. We have our elections every four years. Uh, this is a fucked up way of doing things. Uh, the fact that Trump was able to become president is a failure on pretty much everyone's part, um, but it's a failure of the Constitution. The Constitution is not so great. It's screwed up. We This is a giant mistake. It never should have happened. We need a better system than this. No, I, I kind of disagree with that. Like, like, I don't think the problem is the Constitution. The problem is, like, uh, like speaking of, like, diagnosis of the problem, like, I remember Andrew Sullivan wrote something that, like, like you have too much democracy or something is a bad thing, that kind of, mm-hmm. like, and I really disagree with that. I mean, uh, but, we, like, in this kind of populism, like, the other way, another way of putting it is, um, it happens actually out of less, like, because you didn't have enough democracy. So, like, how did you not have enough democracy? So, like, we had three presidents after the Cold War. So, like, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and uh, President, like, President Obama, Barack Obama. And the three of them, if you look, they all agreed on, like, on the, all the issues the three of them agree are the issues that Trump took the other side of. They all had interventionist foreign policy. They all very, very favor like a lax enforcement of immigration laws and like open like more like generally like more liberal immigration policy. And they, they all, all they all supported free trade. They all supported free trade. And so the the, the like the people who oppose like it is legitimate to oppose like to have uh, to hold opposing views on those issues. But like essentially those people did not find representation either party. And once you have that, it's like basically, okay, like, it, it, like you have this uh, large, uh, 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 so like, uh, why do you, like, it is kind of a potential out there. And uh, he just basically capitalized on it. Like he, Trump, yeah, like Trump he saw a market opportunity and capitalized on it. That's something and, that and in that at. sense, in that sense, he's a very conventional politician, in my opinion. There was like an issue that, like you had five people on the Democratic side, like sixteen other people besides Trump on the Republican side, and nobody like took the position he took, despite there being a large uh, demand for it. And then he just basically saw that and capitalized. I mean, that that is what a lot of politicians do. Like I mean, like, in that sense, I I think he's a very conventional figure that way. And like going back, and you said like this like system is like uh, like uh, now. Uh, um, I, I disagree with that because, like, I I I, uh, I disagree with the, I like um, again like this like blaming the person of Trump. This is like a way of kind of not dealing with like the underlying like issue. Like, I mean, like like my, my like what I what I told you like in the in the email exchange. I told you, like if Trump is gone like in six months for whatever reason like the russia thing like suddenly like i don't believe it will happen but like i don't because i don't think there's much anything but like the russia thing there's a revelation or like you say like he has like some sort of mental uh like you say uh he has a he is in mental cognitive decline and then he turns out that the test he did again i don't believe this but i guess say these things happen I he, like, could, he could have a heart attack on the toilet tomorrow and we would be 
there will be no more trouble. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think like that, that, like, 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 um, that, that will not change much of anything for, for, from, from my perspective. Like, like, again, going back, like, like a lot of people and, um, liberals are like treating Trump as like, oh, if we got rid of him, we could just go back to the way things were. And that's, that's something I'm really. Like, I, I disagree with that too. I don't, I, there's no going back from this. Um, we can't erase Trump. Um, no, no, not that, not that erase. It's like, well, yeah, we can't, we can't go back. You know, there's the consequences of Trump will continue to live on. Uh, even if, you know, Christian Gillibrand and is elected president with like a transgender person as vice president, uh, we still have to deal with the legacy of Trump. We'll never be able to say, oh, this was just like, this is, wasn't like the Gerald Ford presidency of some kind of weird accident of circumstances of someone getting elected who, or someone becoming president who was never elected as part of any ticket. Like he won fair and square. Um, he had 45 million people who supported him. He did everything in office that he did. This is part of American history. Like there's no like out mm-hmm. damn spot. This spot will not be erased. No, not erased in that sense, but I'm like, uh, um, what I'm saying is like Trump is a symptom. Trump is not the cause of like it's. it's like, I think it's both. No, like I, I don't think like he like um, um, like. What I'm saying is like the forces that Trump brought him to power will still exist if he's not there. Uh, okay, I'm not sure about that. I think it's 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 a largely a cult of personality. Um, Trump only cares about himself. He really doesn't care about policy. I mean, what has he done since he's been in office now? a month and a year. What has he done to help the people who were ignored through the Obama administration and voted him into office out of a sense of frustration that we just need someone to clean house during the swamp, throw the bums out. The wall has not been built and Mexico is not paying for it. Um, TPP hasn't happened, but NAFTA is still there. Um, He hasn't started any new wars in the Middle East, but he launched a fuselage of rockets into Syria um, right. he's threatening North Korea with nuclear war. Um, he hasn't, you know, there's a kind of conservatism represented by like, uh, the magazine, the American conservative that you could say Trump, like if he had an ide- ideology, it would be with them. He's just governed as a pretty much down the line conservative in the same way Ted Cruz would have governed, except we have all this like additional circus craziness happening all the time that like is very distracting. Oh yeah, good. So we have something to disagree with. I was getting worried that you, you, you wanted me to like to disagree with you, and we are just completely agreeing after this point. Uh, like, so another thing, I like going back, like to like being Trump defender or like uh, the, defending myself from the charge of being Trump defender. <laughs> uh, um, like one of the things that I constantly see people do is, um, and like, do you remember this? Like they did the George W. Bush too, right? I mean, like the, the guy was stupid. is like, uh, kind of, uh, like, and, and it was like, kind of like, uh, uh, I, I don't know who said like he had dyslexia. So in some sense you were ridiculing like a disability <laughs> for the George W. Bush, but like people think like Trump is like vain or stupid. Like the most thing is like the, he doesn't have an ideology. And I really disagree with that. Like, uh, uh, first, let me start with, but with that, and now I'm going to get to what he has done or done, hasn't done. So, in terms of ideology, I think Trump is like basically a very uh, has had the same ideology all throughout his life. Basically, like it's it's like 
Uh, there is this clip uh, of him appearing on Oprah in 1988 before the presidential election that year. And it's like about three minutes long. And he like basically is this like it's it's about economic issues and it essentially is the same thing he is uh, been saying uh, in 2016, 2017, 2018, but with Japan instead of China. Yeah, so he has been consistently anti-free trade uh, throughout right, right. his public pronouncements, and we'll we'll link to this clip below that you that you found. Um, the what I would say about what it, I found interesting in this clip was how much more cogently and fluently he talked 30 years ago, or was that 40 years ago? 30 years ago. And also, yeah, I think one of his big, one of the, his, his, like, one of his big beliefs about foreign policy is just the idea that someone else is eating our lunch. Like, we're being screwed, someone else is taking advantage of us. So in 1988, it was the Japanese, now it's the Chinese and the Mexicans and NATO, but there's always someone, someone out there who is screwing us over. Right, right. So I'm going to get to that also. But like, let me just read you something. And so this is something that Trump wrote. Uh, uh, so immigrant advocacy groups have no business rising up in protest, demanding special rights, services and privileges. We can't allow ourselves to welcome outsiders out of kindness. If people enter this country by disregarding our laws, can we be confident that they will suddenly become law abiding citizens once they arrive? Let's be extremely careful not to admit more people than we can absorb. It comes down to this. We must take care of our own people first. Now, Trump wrote this. Uh, can you guess the year? Um, I would guess in the early 90s. That would be my guess. <laughs> Actually, it's later than that. Like, but it's January 2000. Like, he, he wrote a book, apparently, with co-authored, but like, like the America we deserve. But like, this is exactly what he said in 2016, right? I mean, like, okay, so he doesn't like foreigners. That's not an ideology. No. That's a prejudice. No, he's, he's not saying he doesn't like foreigners. He just says, like, we have to have a more restrictive immigration policy. Like, what I'm saying is, like, he, he believes has... in shithole countries and countries like Norway that are better. He thinks the countries yeah. in Africa are shitholes. He's just, he has the politics of your average 71 year old white man who has a lot of money and watches Fox News. He's a casual bigot. Mm. So saying some countries are worse than the others is not bigotry. Uh, like, if, like, this goes, um, um, I, I just, I don't want to, um, like, in the list of the things I made up. So, like, if you, if you, like, let's say that what you say is true about the 71-year-old Fox News watcher, it, like, would you disagree that still is it's an ideology? I'd say more it's a set of resentments and, um, you know, people to dislike. Like, <laughs> Fox News, like, used to promote conservative ideology. Now it just promotes Trump. And Trump is whatever Trump says. So if Trump says the FBI is bad, suddenly Sean Hannity believes that the FBI is bad. No, no, like, I mean, I'm not thinking about, like, um, I, I'm, I'm, to me, like, okay, the, the point of this agreement is to me, like, Donald Trump has had the same set of ideas about how the world should be, uh, like, basically entire his public life. The difference is that throughout the years, and basically because of three presidents post-Cold War, they essentially, like, some like mistakes or like uh, uh, just by passage of time. In 2016, the set of ideas he had in 1988 
became popular. And like, that's how he won. And like, what we should address is why does that ideology work now when it didn't work in 1988, when it didn't work in 1992, 96, 2000, right? And that is why I like talking about the person of Trump is not uh, like the, that. That I find like a distraction. Like pointing out like this point of view that like okay, Trump is not the problem. Like uh, the fact that like basically you have had a bipartisan consensus of free trade is a problem. Like nobody questions like the, like uh, like or globalization or immigration. Like there is there there has been no. Um, public discourse, like, I mean, it, like, uh, forget, like, that you might want to enact opposite policy once in a while. There has, like, the, it, it wasn't even, like, kind of considered, like, uh, a matter of, con- like, okay, this is a uh, this is a policy position that we should sit down, argue, and have a conversation about. Like, like do you know what I mean? Like, something um, that is deemed that unworthy of consideration, like, like you, this, this point of your point of view is so off. We are not gonna even allow a discussion about it. Okay, and, I think I see what you're saying. Um, so Trump said things that were against the bipartisan consensus, and there's a constituency for going against the consensus that is not even like, like there's not even that many people like in the House of Representatives who have this, you know, have like a anti-free trade, closed borders. Um, kind of ideology like everyone in both right. both parties are have been free traders essentially since nafta since since bill clinton like essentially like yeah i mean i mean like um what what i see happen like the, the like the broader thing i mean like uh one person to, like uh, i wish you could talk to like about this because it was his origin like he long ago said in blogging has like bill wilkinson was it like the, in a way, the two ideologies of American political parties are kind of uh, uh, strange because, like, the conservatives are socially conservative but economically liberal, and then the Democrats are economically, like, kind of status and socially liberal, and like, like they. There's no, like, yeah. There's never been a like in the four quadrant: um, conservatism, liberalism, libertarianism, populism. Populism does not really have a voice before Donald Trump. Whereas, like, libertar- like, libertarian, there's way more populists out there in the population than there are libertarians, which is, like, a weird freak ideology of, like, 3% of the country, but there's, like, tons of them in, uh, who are wealthy and have, like, uh, think tank jobs and columns, uh, soon to, Megan McArdle will soon be a columnist for the Washington Post. Whereas, like, the constituency for Megan McArdle's politics is, like, 5% of the country. Right, I mean, one of the places that you can see it is like like national security issues, like libertarian positions. National security issues is not popular at all. Uh, like, um, like I wouldn't say populism and libertarianism. Like, like stay like a, like a kind of status. Like, like the one one time I compared like kind of the like the Gaullism, Charles de Gaulle. Like mm-hmm. it's like like they they believe like in like kind of an exceptional uh, place of state, like very. Jealously guarding your sovereignty, like uh, against like uh, international uh, international agreements, like um, uh, it's like a uh, anti free trade, anti like immigration. Um, but also, it, usually, that it coincides with like in the French example, it's like a strong 
welfare state coexists with social yes. conservatism. Whereas, so like, so Trump, but Trump has not tried to shore up the welfare state. He's tried to pick away at it in the way that Paul Ryan wants him to, because Trump doesn't care about this stuff. No, no, but like, for example, like he was the only person in the primaries to talk about, like, I'm not gonna, like, he went after people like saying, he went after Ben Carson saying he wants to get rid, get, like, get, like, uh, take away your social security, right? And the point that, like, that, that's kind of like, the fact that he show, not showing up, I mean, like, the fact that he didn't, like, he hasn't, like, essentially given, uh, like, he hasn't given any way. And then, uh, to, uh, people, people like Paul Ryan, like, that, like, I, like, we will see how it goes, but like, that, that's a, a like, that's an achievement. But like, well, like, like going re- re- repealing Obamacare, like, the only thing Trump doesn't like about Obamacare is that it has the word Obama in it. Trump doesn't care about Obamacare at all. Paul Ryan cares about Obamacare and Mitch McConnell care about Obamacare. So that ate up like six months of Trump's first term trying to repeal it and it failed. So like someone like there could be a Trump who I could imagine being like the authoritarian populist who was actually like really popular if they were like guaranteed, you know, we'll guarantee your health care. We'll make sure no one who um, has brown skin comes into the country no more free trade. We'll kick anyone's ass who tries to fuck with us. Like that's all foreign policy will just consist of that. Um, but we're not going to get, you know, we're not going to care about atrocities in the Middle East and getting bogged down in this crazy place. Um, but America is going to be great, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Trump is just like, this is a, a niche that Trump has shown can be exploited, but I think he's shown that he's also too incompetent or unwilling to actually want to or knowledgeable enough or whatever to actually exploit this. Right. So like, I want to say like two things about like what you said, but what he has done. I mean, so first, like you said, TPP, he just got rid of it on his first day, which I think Hillary Clinton would not have done. And you remember Barack Obama going after Elizabeth Warren because she opposed the TPP. So like, that's a big break from but and like big break from the consensus of like again the bipartisan consensus we talk about. Yeah, I agree. And NAFTA, and NAFTA, I remember in two thousand eight primary Democratic primaries, both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton promised to renegotiate NAFTA, and one got elected president, one became the like Secretary of State, and it, you never heard <laughs> and of it, it again. It didn't happen. But you know who else promised to renegotiate or to pull out of NAFTA? Donald Trump, and it hasn't happened. So no, but, but the reason it hasn't happened is like, because there's renegotiations. Like, there are actually, like, I think the last, the, there was one in Montreal earlier, like, in the year, and there's one actually going on just recently, like, in Mexico City, and then the, the, the person negotiating on the auto part of the deal, like, they had called, like, they, he was called back to Washington mid, uh, negotiations, and like, He's at least negotiating that, and he has actually asked for, like, a bunch of things that, like, the Canadian government thinks are, uh, like, uh, like, the, the Canadian government is very unhappy with them, because, like, the, the U.S. government wants actual, like, there, there are these uh, regulations about, like, when you trade, like, how much of the thing that you're trading is built in the United States, mm-hmm. like, that kind of regulation, how much of things that comes from Canada into the United States is built outside Canada, that kind of thing. And they, they are actually like, but the things that the Trump administration has proposed are things that like the Canadian government does not like. 
So I wouldn't say that like, um, like I don't agree with your like, uh, sitting here in Canada, I don't agree with your, um, like saying that it is not high, like it's not doing anything. And then I, I would be, I would be very surprised if anything substantial happens to change NAFTA. I, I, I just don't see that happening. Um, maybe I've been proven wrong before, but it would, it would really surprise me if I could see that I could see maybe Trump, like Trump considers himself a deal maker. That's like his self conception as the ultimate deal maker. Maybe there'll be some bilateral trade deals. Um, but I really don't see any, any big changes coming. Right. I mean, like, no, what I'm, what I'm saying is like, he's in a rene- the, the NAFTA is being renegotiated and like, uh, um, there, there are like terms that the Canadian government is unhappy with and like it's really strongly trying not to like it, it is like it is sub, like there's a sub like uh, United States asking for substantive changes. So that that's one uh, one one aspect. And then like uh, the third one is like like the tax cuts. Right. And the tax cut like there is like the, the general like thing that, OK, handout for rich people and that kind of thing. But like the part of, uh, again, going back to this status, like, na- like nationalist version, uh, like one of them is like the government, like promotes like kind of national champions, like has a, like a friendly relation with business, right? And one of the points of the tax cut was the, like the most important part of the tax is the corporate income tax cut and like from 35% to 21. And, you could like, I think uh, Tyler Cowan wrote like once, um, like a, uh, like a, he, he wrote a essay, I think at Bloomberg. And basically he said like, this is kind of a, there's the nationalism in it is like basically the way this works is essentially United States will get investments that would have gone otherwise to other parts of the like glow, like essentially this, this, this puts pressure on other firms to kind of relocate back to United States or reinvest in the United States. And that is a real issue because like, for example, the Canadian finance minister, like I think went before the parliament here and like basically to reassure people that like, be like, and the corporate income tax rate in Canada is 15%. So 6% below the United States. But the, he still had to go before the parliament and like say, like we, like we believe we're still competitive in the, like in the like in terms of taxes and um so i'm and like that that part of it i think is uh, uh not appreciated that that that's so you you have- see you see consistency in terms of trump's like n- populist nationalism in the tax cut you know it wasn't just like a handout to rich people in your opinion the the the, the corporate income tax cut was like i think it will uh like it will be more beneficial than like it is more. I believe it's more in line with that kind of nationalism that he has in mind than people think. It, it's not like I'm uh, like uh, it, it. It is. It's not that caricature. Like the, like if he, if he if the tax cut was just like cutting the top income tax right like rate like I mean like just having like come from thirty nine point six they lowered it to thirty seven but like let's say lowered it all the way to thirty. And that was a tax cut, then it would be just a handout to rich people. But the corporate income tax that, that has like a structural benefits, because like, uh, like kind of getting sidetracked, but the corporate income tax is a bad tax. It's both regressive and it's economically inefficient. So that's one reason why it's like all governments around the world is like, are basically slowly like cutting it down. 
because everybody kind of sees like that, like it's it's not a very good way of generating the revenue. And in Canada, we had like uh, it was in uh, I think it was 22 percent like uh, 10 10 15 years ago, and it was like gradually cut down to 15. Um, so like I, I would say that, and then going forward, like he has like he has this one and a half trillion uh, infrastructure, and like, again, like there there the problem is like with this uh, conservative wing of the Republican, like the kind of the uh, uh, the, the free market fiscal conservative type of the, the Republican Party. Not not that is that is something that's actually very popular. Yeah, and government that, spending is you know on roads and bridges and stuff is widely popular and uh obama did some of it with the stimulus i mean there's a there's a joke that every like week is infrastructure week at the white house because they keep on saying that the infrastructure plan is coming and then some craziness happens and they get distracted so the i mean the trump trump could have and i think he even said this during the campaign he could have the first thing he could have done would have been the an infrastructure plan like he could have done a massive stimulus as his first act of his um presidency instead he got fooled into doing the um muslim travel ban and that was the first thing um so i think that kind of shows that what I, who has his ear and what he really cares about i think the travel was not that like the, the mistake was like to do healthcare first i think that was his mistake he should have just like done the gun and done the like the, the infrastructure first i mean like the 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 healthcare that was like that was the part that he basically like Paul Ryan uh, got to him. I, guess. I agree. Like, yeah, I agree. Paul Ryan convinced him of that. Um, I think. It's, right, like, I, well, I think it, it shows like that he's, you know, yeah, one yeah, one yeah. conversation that Bob Wright and I have had is crazy or crazy like a fox when it comes to Trump. Uh, is there a method to his madness? To, is he playing thirteen dimensional chess or not? Um, I almost always fall on the side of crazy and mad, not. Um, method in the madness but yeah I mean it, it would have made a lot more political sense for him to start off with either a tax cut or an infrastructure plan a big like freebie instead of repealing Obamacare which really only conservative activists care about right I mean like so like we disagree about like essentially Trump's ideology and like whether we should underestimate him or not but like um I think he has a very he has held, held an ideology like throughout his life, and then he, um, he. I don't think he's like he's he's not crazy. I'm not. I don't think also he's crazy like a fox. I just think that uh, he he's a he's a when it comes as a, he has a good political instincts, but he's an unexperienced inexperienced politician. That's my take on him. He has very good political instincts. Like, and even in the tax cut deal, they wanted to get rid of all these, like, they, they, get, they wanted to get rid of the salt, like, state and local tax, like, the, the, the tax rate. And then he he had the, like, uh, basically he, uh, then it would, like, it would have hit a lot of, like, kind of middle class Republican rural voters in blue states. And he, uh, he basically, like, uh, was against that. Like he, he, they changed. Like they, they preserved a ten thousand dollar cap right. for that part. For for that reason, he has good political instincts, but he's an inexperienced politician. And the the, the thing that I think people should also take seriously that he will improve over time. Like, no, <laughs> I, do, I, I do like, not think that. So, like the way, do you think he's improved in the past year? But I would say you look at the way healthcare turned out. 
and look at the way tax cuts turn out. Well, the, I mean, if, if, if you had a Republican president, a Republican House, and a Republican Senate, and they couldn't pass a tax cut, then what the fuck are Republicans even for in the first place? Like, they all want to cut taxes all the time, so they got that done. And that seems well, to be about it. And they also all wanted to repeal and replace Obama. Not right? enough of them wanted to do it to, to actually do it. Um, we've gone about an hour. I guess I, um, so we should probably think about wrapping up. Um, here's a question I right. have for you. Uh, you live in Canada. Um, from your accent, I suspect you are not born in the United States. Why do you, what is your interest in American politics? Why do you come to the Blogging Heads board and comment on American politics? Yeah, I wasn't born in Canada. I was, I actually became a Canadian citizen past summer. Uh, but like uh, it has been less less than a year uh, I immigrated to Canada. The reason I was interested in American politics actually goes back to like the Bush v. Gore. I mean, like that was the first part, and like my like that was the first year I entered uh, university. Uh, uh, and I mean, like the point of interest in American politics is because American politics has such an outsized influence all over the world. That was the beginning of it. It's like I'm originally from Iran, uh, not like. And after that, it's just like a kind of, it's kind of the American politics to, to, the, to the globe is kind of like American movies. Like, it's just like, it's a spectacle everybody watches, right? That's right. Okay. Like, and then, and then afterwards, like, I'm, I'm in Canada and I kind of took greater interest, like, in kind of the details of, uh, and like the positions. And like, there's also like the, 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 like, what you call conservative and liberal, like, kind of have different meanings like in North America than they do other places. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't like, uh, it's kind of um, like, I don't know if you want to do another one of these, but like I have a bunch of stuff I like, like uh, didn't get to, uh, I didn't get to defend myself. I, like there, there was no due process. Um. <laughs> 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 Well, okay, let's do, let's do one more thing. You, you choose one more thing to talk about and we'll talk about that and then we'll wrap up because we don't want to test our viewers' patience too much. Right. Um, oh, the other one, um, so maybe we should talk about the uh, rule of law and giving the devil the benefit of the law. Uh, okay, so you, so you sent me a clip from the movie A Man for All Seasons, which is about, um, Thomas Cromwell. Is that right? Um, no, Thomas, Sir Thomas, like the character you see in that clip is Sir Thomas More. Oh, Thomas More. I'm sorry. Um, and we'll link to the clip below. We'll maybe even splice it in right now because it's only 45 seconds. But it's a monologue about, um, you know, the rule of law. And if the devil, you know, if the devil was loose in England, would you break the law to stop him? Arrest him. For what? He's dangerous. For libel, he's a spy. Father, that man's bad. There's no law against that. There is God's law. Then God can arrest him. While you talk, he's God. And go he should if he were the devil himself until he broke the law. So, now you give the devil benefit of law. Yes, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? Yes. I'd cut down every law in England to do that. Oh? And when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper? The law's all been flat. This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, and you're just a man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? Yes. I give the devil benefit of law for my own safety's sake. So what's your interest in in this topic? Right. I mean, I think one of the problems, and again, this is like maybe one of those parts where I'm like... uh, 
accused of like being defending the devil as like people like, and this came up with like your dialogue with David Ottlinger, like people consider have uh, basically the mindset is Trump is such a grave threat that it justifies us doing away with standards or like, like in journalism with like reporting standards and like broadly speaking, like in the, uh, like, or like discarding rule of law. I mean, this is such a grave threat. We should suspend all that and, and just deal with him. And like, he justifies us doing this. And this is really alarming. And to me, that, that, like, the response should not be this. The response should be actually the very opposite of it. The response should be, uh, if, if you're a journalist and like, essentially you see like, okay, Donald Trump got elected and it, like, um, like media have very low credibility with public, which polls show. The, the response is not like, okay, we just didn't do, uh, we didn't discredit them enough. The, 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 the response should be, okay, we don't have credibility, we should build it up. Or like when you have the rule of law, when you perceive somebody as a threat to rule of law, is not, the response should not be, yeah, rule of law, we, we, all, we will also suspend that and then just go like to, like a confrontation with this guy. The, 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 the response should be, like even stronger insistence of rule of law, not, 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 okay. Essentially, and it, at some level, if you think he has no regard for rule of law and your attitude is like, okay, he's also a great fit, I'm going to suspend rule of law to go after him. It's basically in some conceptual way, you're joining him. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the consequences are like, this also goes back, like uh, one of the questions you asked also, like it's related to this is like, what and cultural impact Trump has. I don't know what cultural impact has or has not, but like the events of the past, like let's say two years, I, I like, I, it was a revelation, like, like the Nazi punching thing. I was not, I did not think we should argue. Like this was a point that people, uh, I thought this was accepted that you don't do this. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it was accepted that like we are not gonna, like, uh, regulate speech based on content, even though it is really heinous, we think it's really heinous speech, right? And, like, the event of past two years, I have realized that, like, these things that I took for, uh, and I kind of, I, I assume they were, like, consensus positions, they are not. And, like, I have had to, like, to, like these arguments, like, people who thought punching a Nazi was okay, and so, like, I had to, uh, like do this Socratic method. Okay, what if they kidnapped him, took him to a warehouse, and tortured him to death? But do do you think that is okay? And they like, let's say they assume like, and they, they people say no. Okay, what is the line between punching and torturing to death? And then there's like kind of a puzzled look, and like who decides where the line is? And if punching Nazis is okay, who else can I punch? And right. you should. Okay. And then you, like I thought like everybody had kind of this like uh, knew about this and like kind of reflexively kind of went to, okay, we should not pick a point of view or um, sort of exception to rule of law because then, like, who decides what the exception is, who decides what the good content, like, quote-unquote, good is. And I, it seems I was wrong. And, like, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Sir Thomas uh, Sir Thomas More's... Um, uh, like fate, uh, like because like he is uh, ultimately I think I think uh, uh, executed. Uh, actually, actually, that clip is really good because the person who he does not arrest ultimately like uh, perjures him, like like 
gets him essentially killed by perjuring. But like, uh, like people, like, like these are kind of um, really bedrock principles. And just because they are sort of bedrock principles doesn't, shouldn't like, uh, people maybe think they are passe or like they are not cool or like you should like, like, uh, they, they, there's a sense that in which like, Believing like in free speech and the rule of law is kind of considered uncool or like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like it's kind yeah. of a, instead of like something that everybody shares has become like something like uh, crazy libertarians like uh, obsess about, which like, no, I mean, uh, it's, it's something very fundamental to the way society functions. And yeah, I mean, like I don't have an answer to your question. Like, let me end with this. Like, I don't have an answer to your question about Trump's uh, impact on culture will be. But like, if we talked about like the problems on the that the, helped Trump rise to power, I mean, there's also this other problem that, like, from at least my point of view, I don't know how many people share it. Like, but like that these support for like sort of rule of law and then like uh, freedom of expression. And freedom of association is a lot um, is a lot less than I would have thought, and that that would be a pro- like that is also a problem to think about. Like the same way that uh, like the the forces that like Trump uh, rode to rise to power were a problem that we did not think about. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. Um, I did a conversation with um, the writer Hannah Gaze around 10 months ago about punching Nazis. Uh, she was for punching Nazis. I was against punching Nazis. So people can check that out if they want to listen to someone, uh, listen to people talking about punching Nazis for a while. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm firmly anti-Nazi punching camp. But I do, I agree with you that there's an illiberal, like illiberalism is rising on the right and the left. And um, there's a lot of, leftists who have position who are on Twitter and have a lot of popularity who do not subscribe to liberal to liberalism. They have a different ideology. And um, that's another part of the country that essentially has no public voice. Um, you know, F- Fox news is a channel that represents conservatives. who feel like they don't have a, po- a voice in the national media, but like true leftism or socialism or Marxism you know, barely has a national platform. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh, yeah, so, so this question of like, do we need to, uh, d- does the, ge- does the devil deserve the, the law in the way that everyone else does? Um, I think, as I said before, I think Trump's victory what showed that there were big problems in the American system that need to be fixed. The, uh, the electoral college would be one of them. Um, I also think that Trump kind of cannily exploited norms in the media in terms of like bias. So, so this question, like, should, should the media be like striving even more to be more unbiased when confronted with Trump or should like the media become like Trump has launched a rhetorical attack on the media, unlike maybe, maybe Nixon was similar, but like, you know, Nixon never, like publicly referred to the failing New York Times, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so can I say like one, one more thing? I mean, like, uh, like I know we are going over time, but like, um, so there was a short political article like about a year ago about how presidents were, like had like the history of presidents with press. Like, did you see that? Like, no. Uh, like, so, um, I, like I'm calling like, uh, so FDR, um, and I'm quoting the article, like, 
who carried on a longitudinal war with Chicago Tribune publisher Robert R. McCormick, once admonished a reporter by giving him a dunce hat and instructing him to sit in the corner. At the close of a 1942 press conference, FDR handed a Nazi iron cross to a reporter and asked him to award it to a New York Daily News columnist who was in the attendance and whose work he disliked. Uh, <laughs> and then they're like, the article is full of like, uh, I picked FDR because like I thought we, we might like at some point compare, like I, I had a thing about like, uh, if we went there, like I wanted to compare Trump with FDR about like some of the things he has done. And like, but like there, there's also another list of all like these presidents, how they, uh, like from Thomas Jefferson to Ulysses S. Grant to FDR to Nixon, like all the way, like basically says like the Trump's like, uh, adversity with the press is not like out of the ordinary, like people, like historical presidents have done. My, my point about the press was like the press, not with Trump. The press is like, has lost credibility with the public. Like the polls, I'm not saying the polls like are about the press and the public. The polls is like asking people whether do you trust the media? And they don't. And I'm saying if you want to rebuild your trust, it's basically by, it, it takes time, but there is no other way than basically like just, enforcing your uh, standards even stronger. See, I'm not sure about that. Like, I'm, I think maybe we've like crossed, you know, crossed the Rubicon in terms of um, what reality people in America are believing. This gets a little bit back to the like postmodernism conversation I had with David Ottlinger on Meaning of Life TV. Um, people like there's facts and then there's alternative facts. People just believe what they want to believe and the people who are persuadable in the middle and are looking for answers, not to have, not looking for like having their, their tribal prejudices be reinforced seems to be a smaller and smaller part of the country. Um, mainly people seem to want to dislike other people rather than uh, get the facts, learn something new, get a perspective that's not their own perspective. Um, so I don't know if, yeah, so I, I'm, Unclear whether the press, it, it would be better for the press to like double down on like core standards of objectivity and fairness and nonpartisanship or whether we would be better off with like a more partisan press like they have in, um, in Great Britain where you have kind of a multiplicity of obviously slanted perspectives and I don't know, their, their system has, has been pretty steady over the past a couple hundred years. And uh, they manage somehow without like this view from nowhere uh, objectivity thing that the American press subscribes to. So I, I don't know which one is better. I like I would agree with like with that. I mean like if people like were to state their uh, like essentially their bias. Like I, I'm actually much more. Uh, I prefer consuming sources of news like which uh, in which like I know the bias of this like that that outlet. Like, I, like, if I know that, like, that, that's actually, like, some, like, for me personally, it's easier. Like, I, you consume news from a source of, like, a, like, a, a website that, like, and you know that, okay, these are, like, the, their biases, like, X, Y, and Z. And, like, then it's kind of uh, much more easier to filter than, a, like, a source that you don't know their, what their biases is. And then they're, uh, like, kind of stating that they're objective, uh, and then you kind of have, you're kind of like all this, just like, I don't know if you have the same, uh, the, the instinct as me, like you're kind of suspicious, like trying to locate, okay, where is, uh, where, 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 where are they hiding, uh, their bias? And like, 
I actually personally like my own kind of like uh, uh, news consumption. You would say is um, I, I favor sources that I know their bias. So like like basically, it's easier for me to subtract the bias that I know than mm-hmm. have something that's like says we are objective, and then like I'm kind of like suspicious. And so like that 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 is a model. Like but like I don't think any like. Um, None of the big news outlets are gonna go that way, right? They're not gonna be like, uh, uh, like that. Like, I mean, we are not gonna move in that direction. Uh, I think, but like, but again, going back to press, like my 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 thing is like, I, I see the response as like wrong-headed. It's like just playing into the hands of the people they uh, they claim to oppose. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone 80 minutes. Why don't we end it there? Uh, All right. Sam uh, slash Parallax slash Parallax 2. Uh, thank you for coming on. I hope uh, our viewers enjoyed it. Is there, well, usually I ask if you, if people can follow you, but on Twitter, are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet in. Twitter is kind of like my, uh, like, it's just where I get my news. I, I, I would just tell our audience, like, come to the comment section, and it's better than the average comments, knock, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than your average internet comment section. Like, and, and, uh, like, there are people who disagree, and, uh, uh we, like, people try to be civil, and uh, generally we have, we have, there are very good commenters, uh, come and, um, uh, we, we will have a conversation. Like, uh, it's like as long as people are civil and they are like, uh, it, it, it's like, uh, I think your, your point of view is welcome. Yeah. The, the, the civility the, is like the most important uh, value, I think, in our comment section. And like, people, like, we have very, like, I mean, the, we have very good commenters and, um, there's yeah. a lot of, like, like, engagement from people who actually do the dialogues, uh, that like uh, come back and talk. And so I would encourage our listeners and viewers uh, to check out the comment section. It's usually it's, it's better than you think. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the blogging his comment section is like at the 99th percentile when judged among all other internet comment sections. And if you comment long enough, you may end up on blogging heads yourself, as <laughs> as uh, this episode shows. Um, so uh, let's end it there. So thanks so much, Sam, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Blogging Heads TV. You can help support this content by remembering to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to all Blogging Heads episodes or to a specific program by going to our subscribe page at bloggingheads.tv slash subscribe. There you can sign up for podcast downloads via iTunes or Stitcher, Or you can subscribe to our email and we'll send you an alert every time we post a new episode.